Will Stein is Oregon football's new offensive coordinator, but what might the offense actually look like? Will it be any different? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe. Please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All suited up here like the ace of spades on this show. Had a basketball broadcast earlier and you've all spoken in the past and said, hey, love the suit look, man. I dig it. Well, ask and you shall receive. This be the people show, of course. I'm probably a little bit closer to like the four of clubs than the ace of spades, but I'm hoping Will Stein can be the ace of spades. And I I think that it's worthwhile going through kind of what to expect based on what we saw this year when he was the OC at UTSA. And he was the passing game coordinator for a couple years prior. But a couple things that I think could be different. And and the the caveat to, to all of this analysis is that Dan Lanning as the head coach is still going to have a say in the offense, even though he comes from the defensive side of the ball. So it may very well be the offense doesn't look exactly like how it did when when he was with the Roadrunners. But it's probably going to be similar in some sense. It may not be exact carbon copy, but you're going to see a lot of the same sort of stuff. So what exactly is that stuff? One thing I noticed that was a little different from what we saw this year from Kenny Dillingham in the Ducks offense, they had a lot more four wide receiver looks. They did have a number of instances in which they had 11 personnel on the field, one back, one tight end, and they went two by two and they just lined up a tight end in the slot. I think Oregon's personnel matches up really well for those sorts of looks. I'll talk about the tight ends in, in a little bit. But there were a lot more sets comparatively on a game-by-game basis, and I watched a, a lot of snippets from, from several games that, that UTSA had this year. And there were a lot more four wide receiver looks. I think Oregon's got the personnel capability to be able to go out there and have four high-level weapons. However, and this is where the, the loss of Dante Thornton eh, you know, maybe hurts a little bit more, but we don't know who Oregon's going to replace him with just yet. Remember, Chase Cota is out of eligibility. He was a one-and-done with the Ducks and a very good one at that. Pac-12 honorable mention. I look at Oregon's personnel right now, and if you had to say, all right, you're going to line up at a four-wide receiver look. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Bo Nix is back at quarterback, and Bucky Irving or Noah Whittington is in there, or Sean Dollars, and you've got a four-wide receiver look. You're going 10 personnel. What exactly is that lineup of four wide receivers? I know Troy Franklin's out there. I know that Chris Hudson is out there. Is anybody else an automatic at this point in time? Maybe they'll be a little more adaptive on that front. If Jurion Dickey stays committed, really good chance he'd be one of those three. But again, who's the fourth? When Oregon went five wide this year, normally they had a tight end lineup in the slot and a running back lined up out wide. 
So they were actually running a five-receiver set, so to speak, out of 11 personnel, one back, one tight end. So I wonder if if that's a look, and, and I think it is because he tends to be a pass-happy coordinator, does Will Stein. If Oregon has to go to the portal to get a, a wide receiver who can contribute right away, because then you're looking at, you know, maybe Kyler Casper is ready for a step forward. Is it Josh Delgado going to step in and, and produce Isaiah Bravard or Isaiah Crocker? Like, these guys just haven't seen that much action. They've been pretty low on the depth chart. Are they suddenly ready for, for that? So that's a question that I have. Not a negative, necessarily. And we'll continue, of course, to evaluate Oregon's personnel changes here on the show going forward. But that was just something that, that I noticed. Another thing with his offense. They had a mobile quarterback this year. Like, I wouldn't say a running quarterback. Like, Lamar Jackson's a running quarterback. Braxton Burmeister was a running quarterback. They had a mobile quarterback. And it was a feature of the offense. It's something they did from time to time. But it was definitely not a huge part of it. So as you think about Oregon's quarterback future going forward, my ideal scenario would be Bo Nix coming back and being fully healthy so that he can use his legs. And we saw what happened to the Ducks offense in certain situations or for entire games against Utah when that wasn't available. It was limited. But I think the quarterback run is more a part of what Kenny Dillingham did than what Will Stein wants to do offensively because he's a little bit more pass happy. They are, you know, top 15, top 20 in a lot of statistical metrics this this year at UTSA. Passing efficiency, passing yards per game, yards per game, points per game, a lot of really great things. But what you don't notice or what you don't see rather are elite rushing numbers. They, I think they were okay somewhere around like 50th in, in the country and whatnot, and some of that may be based on personnel. I think it's possible he comes in and says, well, maybe we are going to run the football more because that's what my head coach maybe wants to do because it's what they did last year. And Oregon, of course, had great success doing that this season. And maybe he just looked at the personnel he had at UTSA. I haven't done a deep dive on what they had over there and said, this is the best way for us to move the football. I think that's a question that, that is in there. The quarterback read option component, you know, they, they didn't really have, uh, they did a design quarterback run every now and then, but the read option was a threat they presented from time to time, but it's not. it was not as frequent as what Oregon did with Kenny Dillingham calling plays this year. So I wonder how much that will continue to be there, you know, the quarterback needing to use his legs, or will he be called upon, you know, maybe the same amount in terms of the number of plays we need him to do something, but it's a higher volume of passing situations because that's really where the roadrunners are have have made their money in this season en route to a 10-game winning streak. They had Texas on the ropes on the road, by the way, and then the Longhorns came back to to win that game comfortably, and they won 10 in a row. So that that's another question that that I have. Not a negative, just just a question, just an observation. I'm just doing research and reporting back. That's kind of how this works. Another thing I noticed in the offense, and this one I really, really like, because Oregon had a lot of success with this, this season. And I think that Will Stein will like the personnel he has to work with on this particular front. In the running game, they ran a lot of counter concepts, you know, kind of pin and pull. They would use the tight end as a blocker a lot. And the Roadrunners, when you watch them this year, primarily had just one tight end 
that they could rely on. He was a guy who they threw the ball to. They got it to him in in some creative ways, lined him up as an H-back at times, offset tight end, uh, you know, line him up in, in the slot. They moved him around a lot. But in the running game, they like using the tight end as one of the lead blockers up into the hole. Some of the linemen block down. One lineman pulls around up into the hole, and the tight end has a kickout block going from one side of the formation to the other as well. I think he could have a really good time with that by the time he arrives in Eugene and starts calling plays for the Ducks. I'll tell you exactly why, after I remind you that this was a crucial hire for the Ducks, and these days every new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for a small business. Now, Oregon football, not exactly a small business, but that's why we sit here and talk about it and listen and watch and all that sort of stuff, because many of you may be small business owners, and if you are, you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. So I, I loved what I saw using the tight end in the running game and in the passing game as well. I was high on the tight ends coming into this year. I think they were featured a little bit more through the first two thirds of the season, fell off a little bit at the end, but still they were an essential part of Oregon running the football season long. So if you're Will Stein coming into this Ducks roster and you're going, hmm, I've got Terrence Ferguson, I've got Maliki Matavau, I've got Patrick Herbert, and I've got Kenyon Sadiq coming in in the class of 2023, who looks like he could be an instant, at, instant impact caliber of athlete. What he's able to do as a blocker maybe remains to be seen, but as a receiver, I think that guy could be a threat. Perhaps a longer conversation for another day. But they were using the same guy over and over. Stein has to be coming in going, man, this tight end room is loaded. I'm also pretty sure Cam McCormick has a lifetime contract in college football. So he's in the room. He's not actually there, but I'm pretty sure that's what should happen anyway. So like Cam McCormick, what a legend. Save the Utah game. Never forget. We don't forget two things. The Alamo and Cam McCormick making the ankle-saving tackle. Save that Utah game. Big time. Big, big, big time. Where was I? Oh, yeah. The tight end room has got a lot of different guys in there. And so the the fact that they're featured in offense that does do a lot of two by two and a lot of four wide. They use motion a lot as well. A lot of orbit motion with receivers and and running backs, flaring them out, getting them the ball in space, which goes back to the quote I talked about yesterday, which is, you know, he says one of his guiding philosophies is get the ball to the studs. Great way to do that. Motion them out of the backfield and just get them the ball in space. Let them go make a play. They didn't run a ton of two tight end sets. They, they did do some. Uh, I really liked when Oregon did that this year, both in the blocking and passing sense. I think it opened up a lot of things. The 14J package, uh, of course, w- was wildly successful for most of the year. And other looks where you have two tight ends on the field. I think it just creates some matchup problems, especially when you have guys as talented as Matavau and, and Ferguson and, and Patrick Herbert as well. And then hopefully Sadiq will be kind of the latest contributor to, to that particular room. So I, I like what I see there. I think that crossover will go pretty darn well. Small things that I notice on their offenses film. He runs, or at least he did this year, a good amount of pistol, which I'm not crazy about. 
Really not crazy about the pistol. Takes a long time to develop. I mean, you are just reliant so much on the offensive line, like even more so than normal in a running situation. However, I did notice that much like the wrinkle that Joe Moorhead brought to brought to Oregon's offensive play calling when he was hired, one thing he used in that pistol look to keep a defense honest and to allow it to be effective in certain situations is that wonderful play that I don't think we really saw this year, just wasn't a part of what Dillingham and company did offensively this season, was that wonderful play where you show a read option and then a quarterback has the option to hand it off, he can pull it, or you leak a tight end or receiver into the flat. And it just creates another component that the defense has to defend and be ready for. So I think that sort of stuff is good and clever. I don't want to see an overabundance of pistol. I like the play action that you can get off of it, but you know, we, we did see it a little this year and that was about as much as I can handle. That's a personal preference. I'm just not, not wild about it in, in the running game, but we did see it several times early in the year. You know, BYU, UCLA used it to take some play action shots. I'm good with that sort of thing, but if you're running the ball out of the pistol on third and two, you better have that extra option component, or it's just a real easy thing for for a defense to be able to stop. Uh, in terms of how this offense, which I do think is more pass happy in in his vision, and you know I'm sure Landing will have some input. But remember, this was Kenny Dillingham's offense for the most part. By all accounts, he was allowed to have free reign on it. So I, I don't have a super strong feeling that Lanning is going to, you know, say, Hey, we're just going to do a lot of stuff we did last year. Like I think he hires hired this guy because he believes in his vision, understands what he wants to do offensively and agrees with it. So I think he'll have a really high amount of, of control in the offense. And it's also probably why he took the job. I think his official title at UTSA, someone in the YouTube comments can correct me if I'm wrong, was co-offensive coordinator, but he was the play caller this season. So he comes in with one more year of play calling experience than Dillingham had when we hired him. And, you know, for the most part, that went very, very well. But Oregon has the personnel to execute this offense if they get two things right. Wide receiver, quarterback. I think the running backs are there. I have confidence in the offensive line, even though they're losing a lot of guys. I talked about how the tight ends will fit in. I think that'll be pretty seamless for him. But I think you need another good... I mean, keep Jurion Dickey committed. I think that is an instant, high-impact player. That is the sort of recruit Jurion Dickey is. But thinking in the long term here, if Oregon is able to keep Dante Moore coming to Eugene, I see Will Stein as a guy who runs an offense that can cater both to Bo Nix and to Dante Moore, or maybe another transfer quarterback, because it's a little more pass happy. I think he wants his quarterback to be mobile in certain situations, but I don't think it's a requirement. You know, Joe Moorhead's offense, you have to have a running quarterback. You, you cannot run that offense effectively if your quarterback cannot run. But that's not what's happening here with Will Stein. It's not what he's showed on tape as an offensive coordinator and play caller. So I think if Oregon can get depth at wide receiver, 
and have either Bo Nix or Dante Moore. Maybe Ty Thompson thrives in this system. We don't know. A lot of different ways they can go there. Transfer portal, of course, uh, something we probably should uh, start discussing soon here on on the shows. The portal is open, and it's a wild, wild west. Absolutely crazy. I don't think Oregon's been hit that hard by the portal. Might talk about that more on Friday and whatnot. But I think Oregon's got the sort of talent to be able to execute it, and I, I think that you know as long as they can add a couple pieces, they'll be in good shape. Let's get to a little mailbag here. couple questions coming in. If you ever want a question answered here on the show, you DM me at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. You can hop with the Twitter mention, mentions there, hop in the YouTube comments. I respond to those and monitor them daily. Make sure nobody's, you know, in there trolling, being toxic or anything. Most, the overwhelming majority of you are wonderful and appreciative, and I appreciate all of you right back at you. At Dan Lanning for Prez hit me up with a DM and said, Hey, Spencer. Should we, hey, uh, should we expect defensive position coaches to change this offseason, especially the linebackers? I don't think so. I feel all of your frustrations with how the defense performed in critical games this year. And, you know, we saw it. It wasn't perfect against teams like Arizona at times, though for the most part it's pretty good there. Or, you know, they allowed kind of a big second half against Stanford when they shouldn't have. Or Cal completed some passes early. And then it came to bite us against Washington and Oregon State. But what you have to remember when, when thinking about this, which is a valid question to ask. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to knock it or anything. Is When a coach is in year one, he'll make tweaks going into year two. Whole scale changes, that's not something you do unless you have to, right? Dan Lanning has to hire Will Stein as his offensive coordinator because Kenny Dillingham left. But if Dan Lanning had his way, he would have kept everything the same. You want to try and have as much continuity as possible, unfortunately, but also fortunately for the Ducks, when you're a successful program that's winning games, you are going to get attention brought upon your assistant coaches, particularly one like Kenny Dillingham, who had so much success. But in terms of the coaches getting shuffled around, when you took over a team with a roster full of players that you didn't know and you know had to form relationships with, for the most part, on the fly, and, and we're with players who certainly had some talent, but just because a player's talented doesn't mean it fits exactly what Lanning and company were trying to accomplish this season on the defensive side of the ball. I wouldn't get your hopes up if that's what you're where, where you're coming from in terms of your, your tone with this question with regards to shifting around who's coaching whom and what the position group coaches are, are going to be. And I don't think that that's necessarily needed. I personally, I said this before the season, and I said it during the season, and I'll continue to say it. I wish Lanning would call defensive plays because that's what he was really good at at Georgia, and Tosh Lupoy's background in that front has been iffy at best, and we saw that this year. But again, I don't even expect that to change because when you come in and have a successful year one, you make tweaks, not big adjustments or not big changes, not something that shifts the tone and tenor of the way that your coaching staff operates and the way 
that your players are coached, if, if that makes sense. And I, I think there is some optimism that, that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy can turn the defense around that is warranted. Doesn't mean it's set in stone, because it's certainly not. I was overall disappointed by the defensive effort this year, even if it wasn't their players, or if, if they weren't, you know, their players that they recruited all the time. You still should have been, you know, better than, than they were. But there's still an optimistic thought that's missing from that equation, which I'll tell you about after I talk to you about my friends at Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer, with the World Cup going on. Love me some World Cup. And esports, we've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. I, I don't suspect we'll see shifts in, you know, which coach is overseeing which position group. And and here's the the shred of optimism you should have on on Oregon's defense this year. The players, and this goes for the offensive side of the ball as well that were brought in because they had ties to specific position coaches, for the most part, all did very, very well. Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley came with Coach Tuioti on the defensive line. They were part of a run defense that until one unfortunate game in November was really, really stout all season long. Not very great getting after the passer, but that's more the responsibility of, of the edge players than it is the interior defensive lineman. Scheme has to be a part of that as well with the blitzes that you bring. Christian Gonzalez came with Demetrius Martin from Colorado. as a first-team All-Pac-12 performer this year. Going to be probably a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington came with Carlos Lachlan. Can we all agree those two guys are really good? My point here is, are there areas where this Oregon team needs to grow and improve from a roster and schematic standpoint? Yes, they're abundant. We saw those weaknesses get exploited in two of the last three weeks of the regular season. But the notion that we need to shift stuff around, I don't agree with at this point in time because I think you do have to give them some time to get their system fully implemented, get guys who they want, who they think can execute their scheme in the best possible way. So good question, but that's that's how I feel on that particular front. Uh, my guy Zach comes in and asked, uh, are you surprised that Dilly hasn't taken any coaches with him? I talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago on the show or around the time. Well, it hasn't even been a couple of weeks. I don't know. Time is a social construct, and I don't understand how it works. So uh, <laughs> getting way too sidetracked here. So I'm not that surprised that, that Dilly hasn't taken a single Oregon coach with him. I'd be pretty shocked if they all hadn't been asked, not all of them, but, but if none of them have been asked, I would be really surprised if Dillingham, who, you know, worked with these guys for an entire season, had a lot of success, knows them well, I'd be pretty shocked if he didn't ask them, but at this point in time, none of them have left. That could still change. 
there's still an entire offseason in front of us, and Kenny Dillingham is not done assembling his staff at Arizona State. But he's got, I think, a defensive line coach. He's got a running backs coach already. I'm sure he's got a couple others. I haven't followed it too closely. But I think when you look at this collection of coaches, at the end of the day, they didn't come to Oregon with a united vision of playing or coaching alongside Kenny Dillingham. That was, you know, by all accounts, there was never a blow up or anything. So I'm guess I'm assuming a little bit, but by all accounts, that was a positive externality of them coming to play for Dan Lanning. So I think Lanning is going to have more sway with any coach of, Hey, we'd really like to keep you here. And this is what, you know, what we see for you. And we like this sort of stuff. And Kenny Dillingham is going to build something new and build something up that has fallen all the way down. Oregon is in a position as a program where it's a few pieces away from being, I mean, it's a few plays away this season from being a conference championship contender. So I won't be shocked if, if one position coach, someone, you know, on either side of the ball gets drawn there, but the fact that it hasn't happened and there haven't been really any rumors at all on that front leads me to believe that Dillingham is the only coach that, that Oregon has to replace this offseason. They've, of course, done that with, with with Will Stein hired as the offensive coordinator. So great questions. Keep them coming. Twitter, YouTube, I'm available. You know I am. Suited or not, I am always here for all of you. John Garcia coming on tomorrow, talking some crouton as always. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.